Thank you, Jay, and thank you, music team. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a great week. We're in session number two, or series number two, in our series, We Will Not Be Silenced. Now, let me just say, as I warned last week, we're in a heavy subject here that is weighty. This is probably not what a preacher would preach if he was trying to build the numbers in his congregation. Okay, but a pastor who has one ear to the ground on what's going on in culture and one eye looking this way and that way tries to see what's happening around us. And a lot of Christians are kind of like I was several months ago. What in the world has happened over the past several months? I mean, wokeness, cancel culture, racism, divide between people oppressed, oppressor, jobs, people not being able to get hired because of this and that and promotions and all the world is in perpetual division and chaos. Churches splitting over doctrines and issues and divisiveness. People leaving jobs and what in the world is going on? Well, we started a series last week and I don't want to repeat it all. But I do want to say that it's going to get dark here in just a few minutes before light comes at the end of the tunnel, okay? So I'm going to let you know in advance that I'm going to encourage you at the end through God's Word, but we have to wade through some mud before we get there because if we don't know what we're facing, how in the world are we ever going to answer it in truth? Now let me say a couple of things right off the get-go, and that is... You know, it's time for us to speak the truth. Gone is the day when people should be afraid of saying the truth in order to be uh, misunderstood. Let me just go ahead and say this. I will be misunderstood. I will be misquoted. This probably will be used against me. And if you take this to heart and you put it into life, you will be misunderstood. You will be misquoted, and you will probably be punished because of the place that you're at in life. But let me just say, we have to come to the place where we fear God more than we fear the flames. We have to understand that we serve a God who put us in places of prominence, some more than others, but He put us there to be salt and light and to stand for Him, not to bow the knee to culture. We do not bow to falsehood, we do not bow to lies, and we do not bow to the pressure of man. We stand on the truth of the Word of God. And as Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, Here I am, my conscience bears me witness, I can do no other. Now if the Word of God is your objective truth, you believe it to be truth, and you're willing to stand for it, History tells us that the Christian life is going to cost you. America is an anomaly. It's never happened before. Never has there been a Christian society that can stand and speak the truth and never expect persecution. It's just unheard of. You and I have been born and raised in a time where we've had tremendous freedom at the cost of the lives of hundreds and thousands of our founding fathers who fought so that you could say something whether someone else agreed or disagreed. 
and you would have mutual respect for one another, even if you vehemently disagreed with each other, you would have respect and you would fight to let them say what they thought. But that day's gone. Because if you think you have freedom of speech, just go try to say something about Jesus or biblical Christianity in your job. Try to do freedom of speech. They can say it about Islam. They can say it about LGBTQ. But you can't say it about biblical Christianity. And you know that I'm telling you the truth. You know I'm telling you the truth. So what's happened progressively over the years is the church has been shamed into silence. And what's happened in the culture today is the church is being told, you can have your belief, but you keep it in your building, and you keep it private, and you don't come to your job, or you don't go anywhere else, and you don't say one word about it, you're to keep your mouth closed. And you're to do what we tell you to do. Now, by the way, you know, like I said, this is hard, but this is where we are as Christians. Now, let me say this lovingly. I strive in my ministry to speak the truth. If, if I stop speaking truth, dear God, this is my prayer, remove me from the pulpit. If I am not your man and man enough to say what you say about things, then I don't need to be here. Okay, if all I want to do is talk about niceties, then I'll run for a political office or go to another denomination. I don't want to do that. Truth offends. Truth divides. But truth can also unite. And if we don't build upon the foundation of truth, there is no hope. And so this is what we strive to do. Now, last week I told you that Lutzer tells a story in here, quoting someone else, that Christianity is now on the visiting field. He says, for the first time in history, biblical Christianity has been outnumbered, and we as believers are playing on the visiting field. Somebody shared something with me yesterday that I thought was so good I wanted to share today. And they said... We know that out in the world, in the workplace and workforce, most of you are outnumbered. And that is why corporate worship is so important. For you to come here this morning and gather together with other people on your left and right to sing praises to God, to hear from God's Word, because you know what happens when we get here and we worship together? It's just a slight hint that we're back on the home field. We've got people around us to encourage us. We've got people around us to push us on. We've got other people around us that we know are in this battle with us. And by the way, folks, there's a lot more of us than people want to admit. But most people who have biblical convictions from the Judeo-Christian conviction are afraid to say anything or are afraid to take a stand because they're afraid they'll be marked and canceled. And so they just sit in silence. And that's why Lutzer's title to the book is, We Will Not Be Silenced. Now, he didn't write this to the culture because we will probably not overtake the culture. Please hear me for a moment. 
The culture is probably in the stream that it's headed and it's going to go, but the church had better not get in the stream. As a matter of fact, the Anglican Church in Canada said that it jumped on the cultural bandwagon and began to ride the stream, and they said themselves, you can read it for yourself, that in 20 years they know that the Anglican Church will be out of existence in Canada. And this is what they said, we jumped in the stream and now there is no retreat. We're being washed down the river. So we have to speak. Now, how do we do this? What has happened? And I'm going to go through the highlights. I'm not repeating what I did last week. If you want to see that, you can go back and watch the message, which was way too long, and I won't do that to you this week, but it's so necessary. But what has happened in our midst, David advanced me to the blue slide. What's happened in our midst is you and I have woke up, and the primary catalyst to this was last year at the Floyd riot. Now, thank goodness that court case is over, and you may have an opinion on that. I don't want to hear it. The jury made the decision, and we will let it be, okay? But during the George, George Floyd riots, something happened, and that is cultural Marxism was injected into society full force in the form of revolution. There were some people who literally went out there and bowed the knee because they, they did want racial justice. They wanted this hatred to stop between whites and blacks and so forth. However, that was hijacked. And others came out who were totally looting, destroying, rioting, killing, burning. and other revolutions, and so forth, and it took off, and here we are as biblical Christians. I was on vacation, by the way, when this happened, saying to myself, what in the world has exploded? I didn't know. And so my point in sharing this information with you is so that, like me, you can now be woke. Not woke to jump on somebody else, but woke to what is happening. Let me just say, this is what's happening. Classical Marxism, which you can go back and read and watch the lesson about last week, has been taken, and a few concepts from classical Marxism has been applied to culture. It's been applied to different areas in culture. For example, race, gender. David, go to my next slide for me, the colored one. It, it's basically taken... The two terms, and I'm simplifying it. I know it's more complex than this. I'm simplifying it so you can get the big picture. But economic Marxism is being applied to culture, and this is how it works. Two major categories in which people are placed. Oppressed and oppressor. The, The think tank behind this, who was academia in universities, said that it's not enough to apply Marxism to just economics. It's not enough just to try to make everybody have the same amounts of money. In order to turn the society, something has to happen. Now, Marx said two things had to happen. Number one, you had to destroy Judeo-Christian values. Jewish and Christian values had to be destroyed. Why did Marx say that? Go back and watch... 
if you want to watch it or read it on your own. Marx was brought up in a Lutheran home, by the way, drugged to church, baptized at age 12, and hated God. He was never regenerated. Lived in hypocrisy, saw Christian hypocrites their whole life saying one thing and living another thing like a lot of people have seen in the church. And they're out there, by the way. Churches are filled with abusers and hypocrites. Let's just be frank. And no wonder people have turned their stomach. The church should strive to purify itself. But my point is, Marx turned against the church, turned against God, and said biblical Christianity must be destroyed. And the second thing that must be destroyed is the nuclear family. You've got to strip away mom and dad and all of these things. And I'm going to hit the highlights here. Mark said, go into the home, get the mother out of the home, take the child at a very young age and put them in a government institution and teach that child what to believe and you train them that government needs to be the superior and the great equalizer and the one who distributes all the wealth. Tell mom that she's oppressed by the husband. Tell the child they're oppressed by the parents. And ultimately, all of that family structure is oppression from the God of the Bible. Get rid of both and we can take Marxism and overtake the culture. Well, they tried it economically, and you can go back and read about it in Russia. Venezuela tried it. It wasn't enough. So what happened was, back in the 1920s, some professors escaped to America, to Columbia University in New York State, and set up residency and began to teach. And this is what they said. If you're going to take cultural Marxism, that is, oppressed and oppressor in general terms, and you're going to change a society, you've got to apply it more than just the economics. You've got to apply it socially. You've got to apply it politically, educationally, religiously, and to the family. And you've got to conquer. It's not enough. And so just to take a few of these, for example, the social issue, I'm going to land on one this morning, and that's abortion. They said this, if you ever want abortion to win, you have to make it palatable. That's a big word, and that means make it taste good. How do you sell abortion? Well, you don't use the word abortion. You don't use the word murder or anti-life. What do you do? You change all of that, and you use the word... See, it used to be pro-abortion, anti-abortion. They changed that to what? Pro-choice. Then it got changed to what? What did it get changed to? Pro-choice got changed to women's what? Reproductive rights. Now it's women's health care, right? Now it's changed to what? Reproductive justice. You all follow me here? You've got to make it an issue of justice. It's social justice in the realm of abortion. Now, it's not enough just to keep it with abortion. You have to go to every other issue. And here's, what, here's how you do that. You take this and you train all of the younger people and you infiltrate businesses, educational institutions, and everything else, and you put this in the curricula and you mandate it. And as soon as you get the leverage where the breaking point happens, you don't stop 
you go full revolution. And this is what happened. Now, I could go off on social. I could talk. We talked in the workshop yesterday. Thank you all for coming. Had a great time. This was applied politically. You all know in the last election cycle, no longer is this America where you can have freedom to say, I want to vote for this person, whether you like it or not. I have the right to vote for who I want to write to because I'm an American citizen and I can say who I want to vote for. And you may not like it, but that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm going to vote for him because I don't like that other person. By the way, as an American, you have a right to say that. Did you know that? But how dare you, in the last election, put some people's name on a sign out in your yard because you know, if you would have, your house would have been stoned or burnt or so forth. People have told me right here in Blacksburg they were afraid to put certain political stickers on the back of their cars because people would key their cars, scratch the paint, or bust the glasses out of them. Bullies. What about education? Now, by the way, we should pray for our Christian teachers, administrators. Please don't jump on Christian teachers who are teaching in universities, schools, we should pray for them. People are rough on our... God bless our teachers who love Jesus and are in school. God bless them. Don't run. Stay there and be a light. But understand this. If you stand for Jesus, you're going to pay the price. But if you pay the price, I want you to know something. You've got a church family that loves you and will support you. And you will not go hungry. Because I will raise funds for you. I will feed you from my own table. You will not go hungry. And you will not sleep on the streets. Because there's a church home that will support you. But in education, what did they say? They said, you don't give the teachers or the administrators or anybody else the, uh, the idea of what they're going to be taught. We are going to hand down what's going to be taught federally and if they don't accept that as state and local communities, we will cut their funding. Now, when you get into a board meeting with educators, they don't sit there and read all this stuff that comes out in the educational curriculum. What do they say? If you want this point, point, whatever million, then you're going to take this and this is going to be taught and then this money will funnel in behind it and you'll do that. And most people say, well, okay, hand it down. We don't have any choice. Now, let me tell you something that's happening. You can research this on your own. The American Textbook Society used to be called the Islamic Center for something. And this is what it was. The same school in New York, Columbia University, by the way, which is where all of those radical Marxists went to start training, Columbia University started and housed this now renamed from Islamic Textbook to American Council for Textbooks, started this textbook curricula. And what their sole job is, is to go throughout the universities and make sure that Islam is presented in a positive way. And they also have the right to present biblical Christianity in a negative way. Now, are y'all listening closely? Apply this to curriculum. Biblical Christianity becomes the oppressor Islam becomes the oppressed. Now, anybody that knows religious history knows that that's opposite. There have been times when Christianity was wrong. And we could talk about that for hours. 
and the church will own that. But to paint Islam in the light of something lovely? By the way, the Muslim Brotherhood, if you don't know anything about them, are the ones who are behind that movement. And guess what has happened? The Muslim Brotherhood teamed up with the secular left, and this is how the American Textbook Council is now deciding what is taught in our schools. I don't know about Montgomery County. Read the state of Illinois. Just go, go to the state of Illinois, and especially where the representatives are now in Islamic power, and look at what they're being taught. It infiltrated religious institutions. I could go on and on about this, and also the family. The point is, it's here. Now, what is cultural Marxism trying to do in society to destroy it? Well, just to give you a brief, I'm going to fly through this. Number one, I told you last week, they want to rewrite history and control the future. In other words, America is racist. The New York Times started the 1619 Project, which basically said that America was founded off of slavery and capitalism. Therefore, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and every document that governs American society came from racist white people who owned slaves, and there's no hope for America. It needs to be totally destroyed and the history rewritten so that now we can have this utopia, listen carefully, free of racism, free of hate, full of equality, full of justice. And if we get to rewrite history, they say, that is what will happen. I told a story yesterday about one of my family members who sent one of his children off, his grandchildren off to college, and she came back hating America and her own grandfather who fought in war because she was taught he was the great oppressor and there was no hope for the country. I'm going to talk about number two, diversity to divide and destroy. I'm going to talk about critical race theory here in just a minute, so I'll come back to that. Number three, freedom of speech for one side only, and that is the oppressed. Number four, propaganda. What is propaganda? The purpose of propaganda is to change people's perception of reality and shape their opinions so that despite compelling counter-evidence, people will not change their minds. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter what the facts say. It only matters what people believe. You know, somebody said last week, I can't wait to take your sermon and give it to such and such. And my comment was, don't waste your time. People don't even listen to preachers today unless they know in advance they agree with them. Now, I don't care if you give it to them. I'm just saying. This is where we are. Propaganda. Number five, sexualize the children. These things and so forth. I talked about this yesterday. I'm not getting into it again. But if you can normalize the bizarre... And you can take children, and as sad as this sounds, folks, you, you better hear me. If you can take children and appeal to their sensual desire, and you can get kids hooked at a young age of what satisfies the flesh, they will follow whoever gives them freedom. 
Number six, vilify capitalism, deify socialism. Capitalism was created off of the backs of white oppressors who were slave owners, and it's evil to the core. Now, there's problems with capitalism, but there's a whole lot more problems with socialism. And so, I'm not getting on to that. You can watch last week. Secular left joining with radical Islam to destroy America. You can talk about that. I've already mentioned it. And finally, number eight, if you don't get on the side of the woke culture, we will vilify you, we will cancel you, and we will ultimately destroy you. Now that sounds hard, doesn't it? Do you know that I didn't make one of these things up? Every bit of this is what you and I are seeing unfold before our eyes today, and most of us don't even know what's hit us. So now the big question is, what do we do? Okay, so let me go back and say, under this idea of social, I'm just taking one box and one category and one thing. Remember I said, they said, if Marxism is ever going to change, you have to apply this in every area. So under the social area, we're going to go now to race. I could go to gender and spend the whole time talking about the LGBT but I want to go to race because this is so divisive in churches. So when the critical theory, which was further defined as critical race theory, notice the last word theory, came out, the man who designed it designed it for this reason. It was never intended to unite the races. It was solely created make perpetual division between the races. You have to hear me here. Read it for yourself. Don't just say it, believe it, because I'm telling you. Go read what the founders of critical race theory did. They created it and said, this is what we must do. We must take the oppressed and put them against the oppressor until there is so much rage built up in the society that the oppressed form revolution and overtake the oppressor. And that is when you have victory. Listen to me, folks. When you go to religion right here and you apply social justice in the church, in liberal churches, do you know what they say is salvation? Salvation is when the oppressor realizes he's been an oppressor and gives over to the oppressed. I hope you caught that. This is hard, but this is what you need to know. So critical race theory is being taught to children, to kids in universities, and it's being purported as this is the truth. So now you have, when you look at all of these things, you have all kinds of different people out there, by the way. Now listen to what the left, secular left did. They said it's not enough just to target the black community. There, there is a word for this. I think it's called intersectionality, but whatever it is, they said this is what we've got to do. There's not enough just the black people to turn them against the white. We now have to go to Islamic people. We have to go to uh, Hispanic people. And any kind of minority... And we have to funnel all those people over into the oppressed side to attack the oppressor. 
By the way, who is the oppressor? Judeo-Christian. And anybody who believes in those principles or anybody who believes in that foundational truth and the nuclear family. Now, if you don't believe me, I'm going to say one more thing about this. The, the movement, Black Lives Matter, people are afraid to talk about this because they go, oh my goodness, he's going to say a word about it. I'm tired of it. I'm going to say it. Black Lives Matter was a movement. They have now changed their doctrinal statement because initially they said on the initial doctrine statement of what we believe, we are trained Marxists. Our goal is to promote the destruction of the nuclear family. They said it, folks. I pulled it up and quoted it. Copied it. It has now been changed. They took that down. Now stop for a minute before you misquote me. Do black lives matter? Listen to me carefully. All black lives matter. Every one of them. Even the ones that the evil woman, Margaret Sanger, from Planned Parenthood wanted to kill from the inception of Planned Parenthood because she thought the blacks were the minority race. And she didn't think they should propagate. Did you know that about Planned Parenthood? And its founder, that's why they tried to distance themselves this week and said, we don't want anything to do with her. Yeah, well, no wonder. No wonder. Planned Parenthood. What a name. Planned Parenthood. Have you ever thought about that term? Women's health care. Reproductive justice. Mm. Now back to my point. In critical race theory, we put these races on both sides. By the way, what is racism? Let's, let's get pointed here. What is racism? Racism is the looking at someone's skin color and prejudging them based upon their color of skin as to where they belong. Has the church been guilty of racism in the past? Please don't say no. Yes, they have. I pastored in a church that had a songbook that was written by slaves. And the church that I was in sang that songbook and you could tell they were old slave Songs And it was talking about freedom and liberation in Christ. Shame on the church for doing that. Thank God she changed. She changed. But back, back to the issue now. Is this critical race theory going to unite the races? Never! It's only going to divide. So, in light of that, here are you and I in culture as the church, as the one who is seen as being the oppressor, because this comes from a God who is an oppressor, but we want to speak truth into this culture about this critical race theory. By the way, you need to get the book. Read the whole thing over and over again. And I'm not just getting this from his book. Okay, This is not just him. This is a compilation of things, but... My point is, critical race theory will never unite. It'll only cause hatred and division and revolution because that's what they want. What does the church do? Listen, folks, you and I, as God's children in Jesus Christ, are the only ones who have the answer. And what is the answer? 
In Ephesians chapter 2, which I'm turning to on the screen, the Apostle Paul went into a highly charged racial place called Ephesus. Let me tell you what happened. The Jewish people, those who were called out from Abraham, who were given the Ten Commandments, given the tabernacle, given the glory of God, given the covenants and the promise of the Messiah coming through them, those who were promised a kingdom and so forth and so on, when their Savior came during Christmas time, that's what we celebrate His birth, when He came and 32 or 3 years later offered Himself as Israel's King, they said, we'll not have this man reign over us. When they did that, some people thought God's plan was failed, but God did not fail. Instead, He offered the salvation in Jesus Christ, not just to the nation of Israel, but to Jews, I mean to Gentiles, afar off. So the apostles went and they shared the message that Jesus Christ died for all. And guess what happened? What happened? Well, catch this. Gentiles, black and white and yellow and brown and every skin color that you could imagine heard the fact that they were sinners separated from God and that there was a God in heaven who loved them so much that He came and became a man and lived a perfect sinless life and gave His life to die for their sin. And they could be right with God if they accepted His death on the cross as the payment for their sin. And you know what they did? They all believed. Now they're trying to come together and worship. And some of those Jews are going, wait a minute, he has never been circumcised like Moses said he should be, so he, he shouldn't be in here. And look at that person over there. They should. So Paul steps into Ephesus and says, wait a minute, wait. You don't realize that when a person trusts Christ as Savior, there is no more division. There is now all unity. You who were two now become one. Now, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. David, go all the way back to the beginning of that for me. Am I in the... Click it there. Okay. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the picture of a Gentile. No hope, no promise, aliens, separated, divided, on your way to destruction. But now, but now, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. Wow! He took both groups, Jews and Gentiles. Paul goes on to say in the book of Galatians, Slave and free. Male 
and female. Can I go on down the list? Black and white. And you just keep on going down that list. And this is what Paul said. Anyone and everyone who trusts in the blood of Jesus Christ as the forgiveness of their sins, they are not in perpetual division. They are united together in one body. Come up here, church. We are the only one who has the answer to this problem. Come on over to the Republican Party. It ain't going to fix a thing. It's going to cause nothing but division. Come on over to the Democrat Party. It's not going to fix one thing. The only thing is there is a Savior who loves you and dies for you no matter what your gender, no matter what your color. He loved you and He died for your sins and if you'll trust Him as your Savior, you'll have eternal life. You'll be one in Christ. And guess what? We can get along. We can get along in the person of Christ. Paul goes on to say, abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Boy, is there enmity between people today, right? I mean, you, you, you. He says, Christ just crushes it. You know why? Here's why. Because we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And until the world realizes that, and realizes that everybody's in the same boat, and that is that we're all sinners, that we all need a Savior before a holy and righteous God, there's no hope. Now, you are armed with this truth, and you know this information, and now you say, well, wow, we share the gospel, and we bring peace, and we come together. But you know what? If I share this message... It's going to cost me. And you know what? It is. So how do you handle that today? How do you handle this hostility of sharing the message of unity in Christ in a divided world? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to answer it really quick. Paul says to, to a young Timothy that he's sent out into a radical world. <laughs> Are you listening to me? They were living in the time of Nero. Do you know who Nero was? Nero was a madman. He used to take fence posts and put tar and pitch on them and tie Christians to them and burn them, set them on fire, and watch them roast. I know that's not very nice, but this is the kind of environment that Timothy was ministering in. And he was opposed on every corner And listen to what Paul told this young preacher. Flee from youthful lusts. Now you may read that and say, that's for a youth group, Pastor. You shouldn't be reading that here. No, no, no. Listen. When you read the context of this, youthful lust is not sexuality. Youthful lust here is winning arguments. And Paul tells Timothy, do not engage in ridiculous controversies. Flee, flee youthful lusts. I'm going to interpretively read here. Always wanting to win the argument. Flee youth, the youthful lust of wanting to win the argument and instead pursue righteousness, 
Now, yes, you should flee sexual immorality, sexual temptation. Flee. Run. Because in biblical Christianity, let me remind you, we believe that God created two, two genders, male and female, and we believe that the union God blesses is one biological man and one biological woman together. And anything outside of that involved in sexuality, God says is wrong. But that's what we believe. But this youthful lust is arguing. Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now listen to what he says. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Hmm. You know, God also says many times, we have to know when to speak and when not. You know, sometimes silence is golden. Other times it's yellow. Sometimes you can say things and it be very harmful. Sometimes you need to wait and say them at another time. It takes great wisdom to know when to speak. And it takes even greater wisdom to know what to say. But I want you to know something. God did not create you as a Christian just to be quiet. He did not create you just to be silenced. By the way, today our young people are not talked out of their faith. They're mocked out of it. But don't fear that. Listen to what Paul says. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Christian, please, don't be a fighter in this sense. Do not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach, patient when wronged. Can I explain just a couple of those? First of all, don't be quarrelsome. You know, sometimes when we go into a situation, we go in to win, don't we? I want you to know, you're probably not going to win. When you share the truth, you're probably not going to win. But even when you go in, don't go in to quarrel. Instead, what does he say? We are to be kind to all. I believe this with all of my heart. It's, it's just as much about how we say something as it is what we say. You know, if I go in and I, I speak truth and I'm there just dressing somebody down, they don't hear a thing that I'm saying except that guy is so hateful and bigoted, he has proved he's nothing but an oppressor by his actions and his attitude. I know a lot of Christians like that. Paul said, don't be quarrelsome. Don't want to fight all the time, but be kind to all. Able to teach. Why do you think I'm doing this with you? Do you think I'm really doing this to build Trinity? I'm doing this so that you understand what's going on in your world. You live with this every day of your life. And in order for you to be able to teach somebody, you've got to know what's going on. Why are you in diversity training? Why are you in sensitivity training? What are they trying to tell you about yourself? 
Why is this being done to you? Why are you told to teach this, believe this, sign this, and do this? Because cultural Marxism has taken over, and there you are. Now, what do you do? What do you do? Do you just sit there and take it? Or is there a time where you have to stand and not be silenced? Now, you have to be wise. I told the group yesterday, don't be a fool and go in there and just stand up one day and go off like a rocket because what they're going to do is go, we told you. We told you. Nope, be kind. When you sign something, you have to sign it. You don't agree with it. This is what you do. You sign your name and out from it, you put for receipt purposes only. And when they go, well, what do you mean by receipt? I'm just acknowledging I received this. I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying I received this training and I appreciate that. Oh, what do you mean by that? Kind to all, able to teach. Listen closely. Patient when wronged. That's a whole sermon. Did you know that? Patient when wronged. Do you realize what Paul told Timothy is that his reactions and actions here are just as important as what he says. Timothy, you are to be patient when wronged. Can you imagine somebody coming into your work and saying, you are a bigoted racist, you're a this and that, and you say, I'm so sorry you feel that way about me. That is just not true. Yes, it is. You're, you're. I am so sorry you feel that way. I hate that you feel that. That is just not true. You need to admit this. I'm sorry you feel that way. That, that's just not true. You're kind. Patient when wronged. Now listen, this is the important part. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Key phrase, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. If I had to put a passage on today's culture, this is it for the Christian life. You and I are living in a culture dominated mostly by people who don't even know what they're fighting for. And they are held in snare by the devil doing his will and they're blind. Hear me, Christian. <laughs> a majority of the population can't even see this. And that's why they're bowing the knee. But now as a Christian, you're seeing this. And you know that we can't be silent. We must speak for Jesus. But the only way that it's ever going to turn, according to this passage, is perhaps God may grant them repentance. What is repentance? That's a change of mind. So we pray for them. We are gentle with them. We try to teach them. We try to share with them. We try to be loving to them in the right way. And there's much more to say here. But I'm trying to say that our actions are so important. And unless God does the changing, they'll never be changed. I'm going to tell you a story that a professor who taught homiletics. Homiletics is what I didn't do this morning. It's how preachers organize material 
and deliver it in such a way that people are going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was teaching a homiletics preaching class, and he told his students, prepare your best sermon. I'm taking you this week to preach. All the students went, worked so hard. They were ready to preach. He gets them in his vehicle, and he drives them out and pulls into a cemetery. And he gets out, and he walks them right over to the headstones, and he says, now, your first, second, third, fourth, preach. They all get up, and they're like, are you? So he says, preach, preach to the tombstones. So they all get up and he sits there for half a day and makes them preach to the tombstones. Then he pulls out God's Word in Ezekiel 38 and he starts reading that the dry bones were in the valley. And he told Ezekiel, stand and preach to the dry bones and say to the bones, come together! And the bones came together. And the flesh came on them. And the skin came on the flesh and they stood. By the way, that was representative of God's restoration of the nation of Israel what he's going to do in the future. But this is what that homiletics professor said. How many of those miracles can you do at this graveyard? Can you make the bones come up? Can you make the bones come together? Can you make the flesh go on the bones? Can you make the skin? He said, young preachers, you listen to me. You can craft your best sermons. You can give your best illustrations and you can preach your heart out. But unless Almighty God does the work of opening the heart and the eyes, you're preaching to the dead. And he said, you need to know this because you may be a pastor one day. And I want you to know something. That story has never been more true than in a pulpit. We preach to dead people. unless God allows them to see, they won't see. So what is your responsibility? Don't be quarrelsome. Don't fight. Be willing to speak the truth in the right time. But listen to me. We better be praying for these people. Praying that they'll open their eyes and they'll see the truth because you and I are not able to do that. But Almighty God is. Now let me encourage you. You ready for this? In the end, God's story is this. That upon this earth, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, greedy, so forth, so on. And there will be a system united together to fight against a Middle East country known as Israel. But during that time, there will be a dramatic peace agreement that is established by a major world leader, and Israel will enter into peace agreement with them. And this man, known as the Antichrist, will oversee that one world government, which has a one world economy and a one world system. And he will have false peace with them for three years. But he will not be revealed... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, until the restrainer is taken out of the way. Now, who's the restrainer? Listen to me, folks. That's you and me. Spirit indwelt believers who have the Holy Spirit living in us, speaking the truth. Because he who restrains must do that until he's taken out. But after he's taken out, the man of lawlessness will be revealed 
and he will do this and that and that. Our Lord is coming for us. And we are told in God's Word that things get a lot worse before they get better. And maybe, just maybe, we've preached about it for a long time. Maybe, just maybe, Almighty God is preparing the West to be weakened and crippled and the Middle East to be strengthened and emboldened. And He's ready to turn the timetable back on the nation of Israel and take His church home. But then again, maybe God is going to let His church stay here in the West and we go on for 500 more years and He's going to let the church in America suffer like the church in the rest of the world has. And He's going to find out who are His faithful and who will stand. See, this is the great unknown. We don't know. But this we do know. No matter what happens, we will not be silenced. Father, thank You this morning for the Word of God and for Jesus our Savior. Empower us, embolden us, and oh God, give us hearts to pray for people who can't see. As Paul said, who were ensnared by the devil to do his will. Help us to know, Lord, what we're up against. And open the eyes of those who are opposed to You. Thank You that we know that You finally and ultimately win. And wherever we fit in on this grand scheme, whether it's to be martyrs, whether it's to be witnesses, whether it's to be rapture, whatever it is, Lord, whatever, help us to not be concerned about winning Help us to be concerned about being faithful. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.